Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is a relationship and recovery coach who helps women on a healing journey to have healthy, empowering relationships. Welcome to the show, Dufflin Lammers. Hey there. Thank you for being a guest today. It's really great to have you on. Um, Obviously, that was a very, very brief introduction to you. If you can tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, how you help people, what you do, that'd be great. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, I'm American. I live in Paris, France, and I work with women all over the world. Uh, So I work mostly remotely. And I've been doing this for a little over 10 years now. And so I like to say I work from the outside in and from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Um, From the outside in, this is the coaching part, right? Creating goals and accountability, um, you know, having plans, that kind of thing. And, and then working from the inside out is where I use something called ideal parent figure protocol. Are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. Please explain. Okay. So ideal parent figure protocol was created by Daniel P. Brown at Harvard University. And I've been learning this with him for about the last year and a half. Uh, And it's an attachment-based intervention for, um, you know, for people who are struggling with attachment injury. And, um, but it was created from the Tibetan uh, Buddhist mudras. So it's an, it's an intervention, um, but, but it's kind of like a meditation. So you start off essentially with a basis. So when I, when I first meet a client who's doing IPF with me, I'll ask them, okay, um, you know, give me some background on your family. And I use that to create what's called positive opposites. Uh, and then I have a protocol that I follow. And so the protocol is taking the person through a system where they begin to imagine ideal parents, mm-hmm. different from the ones that they grew up with and completely different from anyone that they've met or that they know. Uh, and this is a set of ideal parents that are ideally suited to them. Uh, and, and then we go through a series of prompts that help them to imagine, um, a safe attachment relationship with these ideal parents. Uh, and then we go through various different protocols, uh, and we use those positive opposites as well to create a new internal working model, because as I'm sure, you know, because you work with attachment, each of us has a sort of love map inside us. Mm-hmm. And that love map determines how we operate in relationships and also how we see ourselves and how we see the world. Yeah. And so what we're doing is creating brand new, fresh input into the perceptual database. So people have a new map to work from. We're not going to correct or replace the old one. We're just creating a brand new one. Interesting. <laughs> so the outcome from that is that they create this new relationship experience. And how does that then re-establish or change the attachment style perhaps that they've got well what happens after it, it takes between 30 and 150 sessions depending on that person's attachment style and how deep their attachment injury is yeah uh what happens is they just start making new choices based on the new internal working model okay it's absolutely brilliant to see when it starts to happen for someone and mm. so i usually do I usually do the coaching in tandem with the IPF. Mm-hmm. So the coaching is also about 
collaboration and mentalizing. Uh, and, and we absolutely do begin to heal our attachment injury with that as well, right? Studies have shown actually that just by studying attachment theory, people improve their level of security and attachment. So, so just beginning to, you know, also help people to stabilize some of the women who come to me, you know, are coming out, for example, of, uh, of a toxic relationship. Um, maybe they're going through a divorce or they thinking about a divorce and they're not sure what to do yet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times it's about, um, building up their self-esteem, helping them to create a plan, um, you know, if it's a, it's a plan to leave, uh, helping them understand how to communicate that, how to do that if they've got kids, uh, you know, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, that's just about stabilizing, right. And, and, and starting to feel like, okay, I have a leg to stand on here and I know what my next right action is. I may not know what's going to happen a year from now or two years from now, but I know, um, what my next right action is. And that can also just kind of release a little bit of the pressure and the stress around it. Definitely, most definitely. So you're giving them like alternative choices to some sort of subconscious behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about making the unconscious conscious. Great stuff. So as far as that kind of what with the work that you do, how does that kind of then influence on the, the kind of relationships that people are then able to uh, establish or maintain or change in their lives do you what kind of feedback do you have for that yeah it's it's interesting I think I've worked with so many different women in in so many different stages of life right mm -hmm. so I also am trained in tantra and sometimes that comes in you know some women also come to me because they're struggling in the relationship to feel like they're getting their their needs met um a lot, I work with a lot of women that are newly in recovery, whether that's from, you know, sex and love addiction or substance use disorder, and um, sometimes disordered eating and, mm -hmm. and reestablishing, okay, how can I be comfortable in my body without that old coping mechanism, whatever that old coping mechanism was, how can I be comfortable in my body? How can I communicate with my partner? How do I start dating again? Uh, you know, how, how can I have sex without alcohol, things like this, right? <laughs> because there are questions that are really um, difficult, I think, for each of us to answer if we haven't been in that situation before. Mm -hmm. uh, and so addressing some of those things and, and just kind of walking through it with them, you know, I think what, what happens is a lot of times we have to just kind of take small risks. And as we do, we take a little risk, you know, so for example, one woman that I worked with, she came to me and she, she found that she was straying from the relationship and she didn't understand why she loved her partner. She didn't really want to leave, but she didn't feel like they had the kind of chemistry that they'd had in the beginning of their relationship. And they'd been together, I think three or four years. And so we, were, we worked using a lot of um, both the Tantra and the attachment, but also, you know, creating some boundaries for her, not necessarily boundaries. I think it's not only something that you do so that other people aren't stepping into your boundaries. It's that you do for yourself. Uh, right. So, so creating, okay, these are the things that I'm not going to do anymore. Right. And, mm -hmm. and giving her some space from the people she was acting out with. So setting 30 days where she was, she was not going to engage. And, 
And then I gave her a a self-love practice, which is just about getting back into your body, right? And because here's the thing, a lot of us think that, oh, it's my partner's responsibility to turn me on. It's not, (laughs) right? Newsflash, it's actually up to you. So so she did that practice um, for 30 days. Also, while whilst not engaging, you know, outside the relationship, and uh, and it was revolutionary. And you know, they're still together today, and it resolved a lot of things for her just by feeling empowered, right? Self responsibility, I think, is a big part of it. Yeah, that's the sort of come over from what you were saying there. That we have, do have a tendency to look for external sources, don't we? That are going to fulfill us or direct us or the boundaries that we set are based on the needs and wants maybe of other people. But what you're saying there is the significance of actually looking at yourself and saying, okay, what will I tolerate? What do I want to do? How am I going to make this happen? And and looking internally rather than looking for that external validation and uh, responsibility given to the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at our conditioning, you know, and this is the attachment side of it, Mm it's easy to see why we go looking outside for, for, for validation, because, you know, in many cases, that's what we were taught to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. a shocker and, and it's actually pretty human and pretty normal. And 50% of the people on the planet are insecurely attached. So like that's half of us. Yeah. But, right. So yeah. I don't like to think of it as an attachment disorder. I like to say it's an attachment injury. Yeah. Oh, just a, an attachment style, even. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That 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 stuff we are as children, we are programmed. But again, that's that's where we're born, aren't we? We're looking at our caregivers, our parents, to provide safety, security, and everything that we need as as a child. So we are looking externally all the time, and then we're not then taught or led to, down a different pathway as we get older. We, we, can be, we still become reliant on all of those external validations rather than at a young age being the taught that actually, you know, now it's time to start looking within yourself to start creating this self-worth, this self-confidence, uh, this, like you said, boundaries earlier on. We, we, we constantly keep looking for those outside sources that we were sought when we were first born when they were absolutely vital and necessary. Yes. It's exactly, exactly. And I, and, and that's exactly part of it. And I think too, sometimes, you know, developing those inner resources, um, it, it takes work. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this is something that I always say to people when I first start working with them is like, are you somebody who's ready to do the homework? Mm -hmm. Uh, because I can't do that for you. It's like, if you're teaching someone to play piano, like I can't get in your hands inside your hands and play the piano for you. I can't. Right. So, so you're going to have to participate. And that's where the collaborative piece comes in is I'm, you know, I'm showing up and, and I'm giving you information and I'm facilitating things, but you have to show up too. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm looking for is I I want to work with people that are ready to do the work and ready to engage and they're motivated Mm -hmm. and and whatever they're motivated by, you know, I think most of the women that I work with are motivated because they, they believe that, um, that they, you know, that this something is missing, right? This something is missing in their life and they want to have that relationship. And many, in many cases, you know, have had relationships in the past that didn't work out and they want another chance at it, right? I know that I myself came from, I was single for a long, long time 
12 years. And I came from this idea that once I found that perfect other person that like everything was going to be okay, you know, unicorns and roses and puppy dogs. Yeah. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> right. So sometimes we have that misinformed idea. Right. Uh, but, but very quickly we learned that actually the same skills that worked with dating and being single and dating also work inside the relationship and that self-responsibility, right? It's it's super important on both ends of that spectrum. Most definitely, most definitely. Let's, let's then get on to a little bit more about you um, and your personal relationship kind of history. Um, there's a story to why you're in Paris, one which we'll get to. You, so you all mentioned that connection that you, you were single for 12 years. So can we sort of talk a little bit about that and that choice that you made and but you were saying that maybe still in that 12 year period you were still looking for the fairy tale type ending in a relationship to complete you as it were very much so i don't think i would have said that that uh, that, that was what i was looking for <laughs> right? i don't think i quite had that awareness um but but once i did have that awareness you know i was able to correct it but you know for me um I had a lovely boyfriend uh, when I was in high school and then I was single for a couple of years. And then I had a boyfriend in college that was, it was very rocky. Uh, and, and I looking back on it, I can see jealousy was a big part of it. And that was how my insecure attachment manifested in large part. And, yeah. um, and, and it was something, you know, that, that caused a lot of trouble in my relationships. And looking back on it, I still had the jealousy with my high school boyfriend too. I just, um, I didn't, I didn't really understand what it was yet. I really thought the problem was him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I struggled so much and it was so painful to feel that when it came up, that deep attachment wounding, which came, I, I did understand from, from a very early age that the issue was that my mother left my father and I, when I was four years old, I spent maybe two weeks a year with her after that, it broke my heart and I never got over it. Right. So yeah. That's what I was longing for. Um, I just didn't understand how to heal it. And so after, um, after I broke up finally with this, this man I was with for nine years that I had met in college, the day I broke up with him was also the same day that I quit using drugs and alcohol. And it's no coincidence. I was as addicted to him as I was ever to anything else. And, uh, and it was a long journey after that of healing. So you know, I, I went to recovery meetings and, uh, and then I did therapy, uh, and then I did EMDR and then I went to ecstatic dance and then I went to calling in the one. And then I read all the books about dating and right. I mean, I did all the stuff, John, I did all the things, right. Because I was so desperate to heal myself, but I still didn't quite believe right? I, there still was a part of me that was resisting that was like, no, I'm going to do it my way. And, and I just have to find the right person. And the day came when I finally said, okay, I give, right? Like I give. And, and I really decided to create some of those boundaries for myself with the help of a therapist. And once I began to really honor those boundaries, things changed really fast. And that was, that was a turning point for me. Um, and I, it was around that time that I met my partner who I've now been with for seven years. 
But what, did, what do you think it took then? What kind of space did you need to get into? What kind of realisations did you need to have in order to be able to say, okay, now I know what I need to do with this now? Well, over the period of 12 years, yeah. the same things happened again and again and okay. again and again. And I was like, well, obviously the common denominator is moi, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. clearly, uh, you know, because before that, it was very easy for me to point the finger and say, oh, the problem is him. Mm-hmm. And 12 years of being single and dating lots of different guys made it really clear that number one, I was attracted to unavailable people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, that was because I was unavailable. Yeah. And once I, once I realized that I was like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> I see yeah. the problem is in fact me, <laughs> uh, which was, you know, devastating and mm-hmm. also empowering at mm-hmm. the same time to, to realize that, you know, if the problem was me, therefore I had the power to fix it. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was sort of what happened. But, you know, truth be told, the reason that I got into recovery in the first place, right, on the day that I left this man that I was with for nine years, Mm. I was on my way back from, um, from seeing this comedy show somewhere in Hollywood. And I stopped at a gas station and I saw this really cute cowboy and I had a thing for cowboys. And I was like, if, if he comes over here, I'm going to give him my phone number. Well, lo and behold, he did come over. He asked me for a pen. I gave him a pen and my phone number. He hadn't asked for it, but I gave it to him anyway. Yeah. And I went out with him a few times and he shared with me that he was in recovery from drug and alcohol use. And uh, when he stopped returning my phone calls, I went to the places where I knew I could find him. And it was because of that that I then heard the message and realized that actually I was in the right place and I needed help. So from the beginning, the whole thing, it was clearly something deeper, right? And so I've always believed this is why I'm a relationship and recovery coach, Mm. because a lot of the women that I work with, Mm. they're struggling to build a life without that old coping mechanism, whatever it was. And, and they, and they can't because the attachment issues keep coming up. Yeah. Because the attachment issues are what led them to that in the first place. Right? That's the that's the wound that we're all, you know, throwing cupcakes or whiskey at, um, right? Or gambling or porn or whatever your thing whatever is. It feels that how right. Um, yeah. You know, so it was very clear for me from the beginning. But I had to sort of repeat the mistake over and over again and have mm-hmm. my heart broken over and over again which was incredibly devastating. And so the work I do now is hopefully so that other women don't have to go through what I went through. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So it's a similar space to where my my relationship history was always pretty destructive. And again, it's that availability, wasn't it? I didn't realise that it was my detachment from connection. It was my inability to connect with people at a deeper level, which were driving me to keep choosing people that, either were also unavailable emotionally or that I was choosing because I knew that I wouldn't be able to attach to them. So I would choose a destructive relationship. I choose someone with, you know, that was incompatible or had a lot of problems or, you know, was never going to be there for me because that always got me back to that same space where I could say, actually, this is what relationships are like. This keeps me safe. This keeps me disconnected. 
Um, and it wasn't until I actually realized that I was choosing subconsciously to put myself into those spaces that I was able to s- stop that and t- turn everything around. So with your attachment as a child, that clearly led to some very uh, damaging um, addictive type behaviors. Do you understand the connection? What what kind of space were you trying to fill with drink and drugs and that to kind of <clears throat> manage that attachment space that you had as a child? Well, yeah, I feel for me, I would say uh, that before getting into recovery, I I would qualify as a disorganized attachment. Okay. Um, which is to say I was anxious with my mother and avoidant with my father. Right. So as I said, my mother left us uh, and I had a deep fear of abandonment as a result of that. Mm. My father stayed and was a rager. I uh, was a very angry person. Okay. And, and so I was, um, you know, alone. I had no brothers and sisters living with us in the household okay. uh, with, you know, with this person who was scary uh, and, oh. and just a lot of emotional outbursts. Right. And so I was avoidantly attached with him uh, and that contributed to my fear of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I had both sides of the coin, right? A fear of abandonment and a fear of intimacy. Yeah. And, and so that made it really difficult because no matter whom I tried to attach to, I would go one direction or the other. And, and I was just lost. Uh, even, even when I tried during those 12 years that I was single, I tried to go out with nice guys who I knew, right, would show up and were available. And I would go avoidant with them because of my fear of intimacy. Mm. My primary was always uh, the the anxious side. And my primary was always to to attempt to chase after people who I knew weren't available and would abandon me. But as I recovered, you know, I I tried and uh, and I just (laughs) kept failing and failing. (laughs) I would say that for me, the EMDR really helped, which is very similar to the IPF that I do now. Okay. So EMDR is the eye movement, desensitization. What's the R stand for? Reprogramming. Reprogramming, that's it. And that's a trauma-based recovery, isn't it? That's looking it at is. trauma. It is. And what I like about the IPF versus the EMDR, I didn't know about IPF when I did my EMDR. Mm. Um, IPF is indirect trauma reprocessing, whereas EMDR is direct trauma reprocessing. So it's a bit more confronting. Mm-hmm. The IPF I find to be a bit more gentle and... Um, And as a creative person, you know, I'm, I'm an actor and a writer, uh, for me, you know, I like that it involves the imagination. Dan, the professor that I've learned it from always says imagination creates new possibilities. And I just love that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very positive. It's it's very creative Mm -hmm. and, and, and involving the imagination in that way. I think it just opens things up and, and it really, I'm, I'm still doing the IPF now for myself, like receiving the therapy. Um, And I don't ask my clients to do anything that I haven't done myself, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great because I've done so many things. (laughs) Actually, I can tell you exactly what breath work. Yeah. Whatever it is. I'm like, I'm yes, I've done that myself. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, so that also, um, I think it just informs the way I experience it. And when I'm doing it with a client, uh, because it's really, it's such a gift Mm. to be able to, for me, it's such a gift to to be able to pass that on now. And, 
And I think there are things that can come up that can knock us offline, even when we're, I would, I would say that I now qualify as earned secure, Mm. Um, but still stuff, you know, stuff happens in life. I mean, the pandemic, for for example. Yeah, for sure. And again, there are, as, as we know that the things that we experience and those neurons that we build when we're children, they never, they never go anywhere. So the triggers can always be triggered, can't they, depending on what kind of space we're in. Like you said, with the pandemic, that would have put a huge amount of stress on people that would have really limited some people's resilience. The things we're trying to shift within ourselves, if we have something like that that comes up, which throws us, it can land lower our ability to make these different conscious choices we want to make moving forward in a different area. Um, so like you said, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process um for all of us i mean as i've been doing that i started my first sort of training in 2004 um and i'm a completely different person and i have a completely different mindset but it doesn't mean that someone can't do something or they say something which my brain will interpret as 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 a as a threat or as an insecurity or as a rejection or whatever it might be that i would have struggled with in the past and i'll get those little tingly moments where i go into that insecure space and my avoidant attachment will come up, um, which was, again, I'm very similar. I lived in a house where my parents separated. I was left with my dad. Um, again, uh, a very angry young man. As he was um, quite an anxious attachment type. My mum was an avoidant attachment type. So although I was predominantly an avoidant style myself, I had traces of anxiety as well, which were kicking depending on what the circumstances were that I was faced with. Um, but it's really interesting, you know, like you said, that this stuff can keep popping up every once in a while. Um, how did you then shift to find the relationship that you're in now? Um, like you said, you've been together for seven years. You're now living in Paris. Um, can you give us a little bit about how you then managed to shift your mindset, kind of let go of some of your inavailability Um, to be able to kind of embark on a new and healthier relationship? So I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And as I say, you know, I finally just set some of these very clear boundaries for myself of, you know, what, what clearly didn't work for me and what, what would work for me. And, and I just really committed to it. Uh, And again, with a lot of support, you know, I had a support group, I had a therapist, I had girlfriends who now had listened to me for the last 12 years and weren't going to take any more BS from me, (laughs) right? Which is super important, that co-regulation. And, uh, and I, and at that point, I think I was 42 years old. And I also, you know, I think there was, there was um, sort of an element of, Hey, you, I mean, life is short, sister. Get it together, right? <laughs> I was like, I was kind of tired of my own BS, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, happily. Yeah, feel that. So, right. So, I came to Paris. Um, initially, I came uh, by myself. I came with a girlfriend who, um, three days before, I, I had planned this trip, and three days before, she canceled. So, I ended up going by myself. And I discovered that I just really loved traveling alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So the following summer I spent um, on my own in Prague. The summer after that, I went to Venice and then I felt like Paris was calling my name. So I came back to Paris and about two weeks into my visit, I was lost one day near the opera 
And I was walking up this staircase and I uh, asked a handsome Frenchman for directions. And, um, and we spoke a little bit. And two weeks later, I was back in the same place and I saw him again. And that day we went to lunch and traded phone numbers and the rest is history. Um, wow. <laughs> so yeah, it was, you know, it was very long distance for the first three years, which I think for us, for me and him was a good thing. Right. Uh, because we had to take it slow, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. we had to continue to take it slow because we were 8,000 miles apart. Yeah. After three years, it was, okay, somebody's moving. Who's it going to be? Mm -hmm. And uh, and now I've been living here in Paris for a little over four years, which has been a huge adjustment too. Mm, it sure. really it really has been such a huge adjustment, you know, coming to another country. Um, but again, you know, forcing me to develop more and more of those inner resources and resilience. Mm. Right. And, uh, and, and I continue to, you know, as I say, I continue to do all the stuff and all the things like I, I found a breathwork teacher and I found a Tantra teacher and, right. and I travel a lot and I go to group therapy and I do, you know, and I do my IPF and continuing to do all of that stuff has yeah. supported me and enabled me to be able to show up in the relationship. Yeah, I think that's hugely significant what you just said there. That, I mean, that's a massive shift to go from, you know, like you said, 8,000 miles to be in a relationship with someone in a completely different culture from the one that you're used to. But the fact that you're keeping up the, the self, the self-work, you're, you're still looking at you, you're still maintaining those routines, you're still doing the work that you need to do in order to keep yourself in a, in a healthy space. And how, with the disorganised, because out of the three insecure attachment styles there are, disorganised is kind of the one that messes with you the most, right? So it's, 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 it's not a comfortable space to be in. Can you just, can you pinpoint any kind of things that might be useful for people uh, that you might have kind of said to yourself, okay, in order for me not to exhibit this kind of disorganised style anymore, what, what did you actually do? Is there a kind of a process that you could quickly go through? There's a, is there an, a, a one change or is it just the whole layers of everything you've ever done that's been able to put this to one side until, like we said, you might be triggered every once in a while? <clears throat> well, both. Uh, what I will say in terms of what, I, what I've learned in this particular relationship was that because as I say, I lead with the anxious style, the preoccupied side. And, um, and so how that manifested in previous relationships was jealousy. Mm -hmm. And of course it came up again, especially when you're living 8,000 miles apart, right? Yeah. And I was feeling insecure and jealous and working with my therapist, I was able to increase my window of tolerance around sitting with the uncertainty. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Sometimes it was, you know, something would happen and I would feel triggered. A lot of it is about the mindfulness. I also started meditating. Okay. Um, and I had been meditating for maybe five years when I met my partner, Benjamin. And the meditation also gave me more of that ability to mentalize in the moment, right? To be able to say, oh, this is what I'm thinking, but without identifying with the thoughts and knowing that I'm not the thoughts, right? I'm thinking that he's going to go talk to that girl and then he's going to like her better and then he's going to abandon me. Mm. Um, but being able to observe the thoughts allowed me to disidentify from them and then sort of coach myself through that moment, right? And say, okay, 
that's what you're thinking, but don't believe everything that you think, right? And and what's really going on and own my part in it um, in the moment. And sometimes to get through that moment, what I would do is I would just create sort of a mantra um, of, you know, whatever it, whatever it was in that moment that would reassure me and reassure myself long enough to get through the attachment panic to where I was calm and regulated again. And then when I was calm and regulated again, I would talk to him about it. And this was extremely scary for me to be, to be able to say, I'm feeling really insecure and jealous right now. I saw you talking to that girl and my head is telling me blah, 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 whatever the thing was. Uh, And to be able to ask my partner for reassurance when I needed it. And, and I always, I come from the position that I do what I can on my own. And then I ask for the reassurance. I do what I can on my own. And, and that worked marvelously for me. Luckily I found someone who, who was able to show up for that. Yeah, right. That's what you, you know. I mean, that's hugely important as well, isn't it? And I guess that comes down to again, subconsciously what you've chosen in your relationship this time, but maybe also consciously chosen in your relationship this time, is the someone that can help you if you need help in that space. So, like you said, you're going to look at it yourself first, and I guess then if you need to then take that onto a conversation with your partner you've got the right partner that's able to engage with you on a level where they don't have to go into a defensive or a difficult space for themselves. And they're able to kind of help you through that, through that moment. Yes. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, John, I still, I still chose an avoidant person. Right. Okay. (laughs) Because that's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I still chose an avoidant person, but I chose a person who was willing to show up and do the work with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's sort of been the, the other half of it is once I got through the, um, the, the anxious side for myself, mm-hmm. then my avoidance side springs up, you know, and wants me to, to do all sorts of, you know, well, this is clearly not going to work. And obviously every time, you know, yeah whatever he he left the toilet seat down it was well <laughs> i had better pack my bags and what am i going to do with my life right um and all sorts of you know temptations for acting out and mm-hmm. uh and that you know was was just about uh again recognizing um my own thoughts and and disidentifying from the thoughts but then also just sitting still sitting still And this is again, why I love the meditation because this, as I say, IPF is a meditation based intervention for attachment repair. There's, there's something really valuable about the fact that it's meditation based because it's that, can I be still and, and allow my thoughts to settle? Um, because then there's the deeper part of me that wants to be seen and wants to be known that gets to step forward. Uh, and you know, and also showing up and being there for him when he goes through that. Cause I, I would say that he's probably disorganized too. Neither one of us has done an AAI, but <laughs> this is my guess. Yeah. Um, right. And, and also showing up for my partner when he's going through that gave me, you know, having compassion for that. It gave me a lot of perspective on what was going on with myself as well mm-hmm. from inside the relationship. Whereas in the past, like I said, I would just be like, Oh, clearly 
he's a word I maybe can't say on this podcast. <laughs> say that word if you want. <laughs> Asshole! <laughs> right? Uh. Yeah. But he's, again, like you've, what you've done is, again, like, is you've chosen someone that's sort of a similar, maybe a similar, which before you would have backed away from. But actually you can see the bigger picture. You're saying, is this actually... Is the toilet seat something I need to both considering? <laughs> am I, like you said, am I going to allow it to be something that I'm going to buy into for myself and make it an issue which doesn't actually really need to exist? And then I guess with the bigger issues, the ones that are actually significantly relevant to the success of your relationship, you're able to sit with it and then address it as it needs addressing. And you've managed to find somebody that can sit with you and address not only your stuff with, with you, but his stuff with you at the same time yeah um, and if you do want to find out what your attachment style is please do go to the uh, john kenny coaching website and you can take the test that's on there um uh and um yeah so if you want to point him in that direction <laughs> <laughs> um thank you very very much for sharing um we are just gonna run out of time unfortunately today um so thank you very much for being on the uh, Relationship Guy show today. Um, I believe you do have something to offer to the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have a free workbook uh, where you can learn the four A's for healthy relationships and dating. Uh, the four A's are attractive, appropriate, available, and abundant. You want to make sure that someone is all four of these things as you're dating. So you can find that on my website, which is Deflin.com. I'm like Rumpelstiltskin. If you can spell my name, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for those of you that will have may have trouble spelling Deflin's name, the details that you need in order to get in contact and get hold of your free workbook is in the show notes. So please do... Uh, get onto Dufflin's website and get yourself a copy of that. Um, thank you so much for being a guest today. Do you have any wise words of wisdom or advice or something to leave the listeners with before we finish up today? I feel like, you know, ultimately the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our lives. Uh -huh. So, right. So uh, if you're somebody who's listening to this and you identify with some of the things that I shared and you're, and you're interested in in having a better quality relationship i just encourage you to to know that it's possible awesome thank you very much the world of opportunity the ability to create your own life and make your own choices and choose the kind of relationships that you want thank you very yes. much um thanks again for being a guest wonderful conversation uh, uh thank you and i'll speak to you again soon thanks john Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.